I didn't know what to do because I'd never seen this before. I'd only read about it. I'd never been in a situation like this before. And I kind of looked left and right to see where the pastor was in the room. And then <laughs> obviously realized I'm the only one there. And, uh, but it, it kind of frightened me when I saw this. Yeah, but I jumped to my feet and I just said, in Jesus name, stop. And suddenly this girl stopped and got up and sat on the chair. Mm. And no one was more surprised than me. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Raw Mission, the podcast where we bring you challenging and inspiring stories of ordinary folks sharing the good news of our extraordinary God in some of the toughest parts of the world. I'm Matt, your host for this podcast, and today I'm really excited to have Mike on the show, who along with his wife Cindy spent 15 years planting churches and raising four kids in Turkey, a country of about 80 million Muslims most of whom have never even met a follower of Jesus, let alone heard the good news. Well, welcome, Mike. It's great to have you on the podcast, and it's a real pleasure to have you here today. I'm so looking forward to hearing your stories. I've heard some of them before, and I'm sure others will crop up as well. But yeah, good to see you today. Thanks for the invitation. Let's start off as we usually do. Let's hear a little bit about your background. Uh, Did you grow up in a home where Jesus was known and did you uh, come to follow him at an early age or not? Yeah, I've been very blessed actually that my parents both uh, came to faith in their teens and I grew up in a fairly strict Baptist church actually in the in the west of England Mm -hmm. and my grandfather was the pastor so I think there were some high expectations for us as a family being kind of this holy family as we were growing up because we were sons and grandsons of the pastor. Ah, sometimes that, that doesn't go well, does it? And you hear stories of rebellious pastor's kids or rebellious missionary kids even as well. But uh, yeah. is, did you have a kind of rebellious childhood where you pushed away from some of that? No, I didn't. In fact, probably the most rebellious thing I did was cycling no-handed to a Bible study. <laughs> and and uh, so, no, actually, I, I, I kind of had faith growing up, but... I knew I wasn't saved Mm. in that when I was a child, I I heard about hell and it's really frightened me. So I I tried to kind of live my life to please God, but I just always knew that I wasn't really pleasing him. Mm. And I remember sometimes just lying on my bed at night, sometimes crying because I knew I wasn't good enough for God. Mm. And then when I was 13 years old, I was away on a youth camp. And uh, for the first time, I understood what Jesus had done for me. And that that day, I actually asked Jesus to take all the things that I couldn't give to him and just to forgive me for the things I'd done wrong. And it was like a huge weight was lifted from my shoulders. I I remember it very vividly. And people tell me or told me later that I spent that evening with others that got saved on the same night. We just were singing praises to God on our own in our dormitory all evening. So. It was quite a very significant evening for us. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, not everyone has a moment in in their walk with the Lord, you know, especially if they come from a Christian home yeah. where they can put a finger on it. But it, I guess that's a blessing for you that you had that experience and you you had a moment where grace became so real to you. Interesting, actually, because I'd, I'd forgot that that was part of your background. And in some ways that taps into the work that we do, doesn't it? Reaching Muslims and caring about Muslims because they're very religious and they want to please God all the time. And so in some ways you connect into that story yeah i do and it, i used to think my testimony was really boring because i'd grown up in a christian home and mm-hmm. never done anything particularly rebellious and then one day i shared my testimony with a, a muslim uh, in turkey when i was there and i suddenly realized my testimony was really relevant to muslims because they'd grown up in a very similar background to me where I, i'd grown up i'd learned the bible i'd memorized the bible and i was trying to please god and realized I wasn't good enough. So I realized my testimony was actually really powerful for mm. Muslims. That's awesome. Huh. Yeah, I like that. So you kind of grew up and you did the youth group thing and, and you had that moment of faith on on camp, summer camp, was it, or yeah. something. And um, yeah, how did that then develop into a concern for people from other nations and crossing cultures? It actually developed, well, probably when I was very young, we used to have missionaries that would come to our church in Gloucester mm. and share I remember Mission Aviation Fellowship, MAF, would come. And right from a young age, we, I had a little uh, MAF pocket mon- uh, tithing box in my bedroom. Nice. And I used to get 20p a week pocket money. <laughs> and every week I put two pence into this box and, and give money to MAF. But I, I never nice. thought about 
being a missionary myself until mm. I was about 19 years old and I've been dating a girl for about a year and one day she told me that she'd always wanted to be a missionary and I thought oh no why are you going out with me then <laughs> and uh but actually, at the time, I was really starting to understand what true discipleship was and how Jesus had asked us to lay down our lives for him. And so I was being challenged by that. And at the same time, she's saying, I've always wanted to be a missionary. And so I remember one day I was working in a timber yard at the time and I was stacking wood. And I just remember thinking to myself, why not? Mm. I can be a missionary, too. Mm. And so just there and then, very impulsively, I just said, that's it. I'm going to be a missionary. Oh. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, in those days, what what was in your mind when you thought missionary? What does that word even mean? Because people have funny ideas sometimes of what a missionary is. Yeah, it's funny you should ask that because I a couple of years later, I went and spoke to our pastor and I said, um, by this time, uh, we were getting married. Uh, to, I was getting married to the girl that had said that to me. And I went to my pastor and said, we're thinking about being missionaries. And he asked me the same question. He said, well, what do you mean? Mm. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I know missionaries go over overseas and talk about Jesus and do good things for people. And he said to me, you should go to an unreached country and plant churches. Mm. And I nodded, pretending I knew what he meant, but I didn't have a clue. I'd never heard of the term church planting before, mm. and I'd never even heard of the term unreached before. Um, but he talked more about that. And so it just got me interested in taking the gospel to places where it had never gone before. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah, I don't think reached and unreached is a common phrase, really, in, in a lot of church vocabulary. I don't think many people hear, hear about that. Okay, so f for you, that, that became clear as you did some research. Yeah, there are people around the world who actually don't have access to the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, later, the, the church encouraged us to go to Bible college. So we actually went to Bible college for three years. And while we were there, we knew that we were going to be going overseas somewhere. We, we thought it would probably be France mm. because there's, you know, very few evangelical Christians in France. There's a lot of unreached people there. Mm. But while I was in college, I remember we had different organizations would come and speak to us as the student body. Uh, each week we'd have a new organization come in. And there were five in a row that came that spoke about the Muslim world. Mm. And it just got me interested and then one particular group called Frontiers came. I'd never heard of them before. They gave a presentation, which wasn't particularly dynamic, mm. <laughs> but they also brought a book with them. And the book was called Planting Churches in Muslim Cities. And the, the title of the book just so captured me. I thought, I didn't know you could do that. Mm. Like, that sounds really dangerous, mm. but sounds like a great adventure. So I bought the book and took it home and read it. And I thought, that's what I want to give my life to. Mm. I had a little bit of trouble convincing my wife that it was a good idea <laughs> because she thought we we're either going to France or Africa, you know, somewhere right. in Africa where she could do her nursing. Yeah. Um, but we slowly, the Lord led us to go to a Muslim country. Oh, that's yeah. great. So how many years did it, did it take you to sort of, you know, well, from the time, I suppose, when you actually left and you moved yourself and, and went overseas long term? I think from when she first said to me that she wanted to be a missionary and I thought oh, I could do that too, uh, to actually going was probably about 10 or 11 years uh, for that mm -hmm. to take place. But in the meantime, she trained as a nurse and a midwife and then we got married and then went to Bible college mm -hmm. um, and then spent a year raising support uh, yeah. for people to be able to go. So, yeah, probably about 10 years. Okay. And so how did you end up in the country you ended up in? Well, when I was at Bible college, I had to get a placement overseas mm. and a 10-week placement. So I wrote to 12 different uh, organizations and said, could you help me with a 10-week placement? I got six replies and three of them said they wanted to talk to us. And only one of them came up with an option, mm. wow. <laughs> which was Frontiers in Turkey with a, mm. with a team there. So I went and spent 10 weeks uh, with, with the team there. My wife, by that time, we had two little girls. Mm. And so she came for five weeks of that placement. And so we, we were in Turkey all that time. And then while we were there, the team leader, uh, we got on really well with the team and the team leader. And the team leader said, why don't you come and join us when you finish college? Mm. And so that was a very significant invitation mm. in discerning where God was leading us. Wow. So that's, yeah, so that's interesting. So 
it, some people have a kind of calling where a, a country or a people group come into focus and they just pray for that group and then they really want to go and work and live there but but you're you know in some ways you fell into that country and you fell into frontiers accidentally yeah but I, the way i understand calling in how god has called us as a family is everyone's calling is different everyone's story is different and for us i always prayed that god would make it clear where we should go and so when we went and did this placement we only had one option mm, so true. god was making it clear and then we had an invitation to come yeah. and also while i was there during that internship just god broke my heart for the people that we were living amongst and i remember standing one day um looking over a bridge where during rush hour and pe- there's thousands of people were coming across this bridge traveling to and from work and i just it broke my heart. I was just thinking, well, none of these people probably know Jesus mm-hmm. and probably none of them have ever met a follower of Jesus. And that just broke my heart. And I thought I need to be here mm. and I need to be telling these people about Jesus. That's great. Yeah. That reminds me of Jesus looking out over the crowds in Jerusalem. And yeah, the scripture says he had compassion on the crowds because they were helpless yeah. like sheep without a shepherd. Um, and that's right, isn't it? I think sometimes when we're in these great mega cities around the world and we we think gosh there's so few gospel opportunities there's so little hope for them here to to meet a follower of jesus or get a bible in their own language yes okay europe has issues we post-christian europe needs the gospel absolutely our country england uk we need the re-evangelization here we need a revival something and we need to put our effort into that but if anyone wants to find a bible in this country it's easy you can go to wh smith you don't even need to go to a church If you want to find a follower of Jesus, there's probably someone in your office, definitely someone in your town, definitely a church that's living and active in your town, pretty much. So it is a different world when you when you go overseas to some of these places in Asia and Central Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa or Northern Africa. So, yeah, that's that's interesting how God just touched your heart as you were there testing the waters. I mean, were you someone who traveled a lot before and done a lot of short-term mission or that was it you just found yourself there and that is where god wanted you i'd actually never done a short-term mission trip before so that that was my first exposure to Mm. that kind of thing i mean i'd done what most people do like package holidays overseas but my only experience overseas was Mm. going to european holiday destinations Mm. so uh, so it was quite an adventure yeah uh, going to turkey for 10 weeks and uh but i loved it so after that placement, you were back there living permanently within a year? Yeah. So we, well, after the placement, we finished college and then we went back to our uh, home church where mm. we come from in Sussex. And we spent a year in the church and raising support and mm. getting ready to go. Um, so it was exactly a year before we went. Yeah. And, and your family, at least they knew the Lord. So I guess they were OK with you guys moving out there. Any, any trouble, any pushback, kickback from people saying, what are you doing? That sounds ridiculous. No, but both our parents are believers, and so mm. they were actually very supportive of us. I think deep down they were also uh, very sad mm. <laughs> because we were heading off to another country. We were taking their grandchildren, yeah, and so it was a, probably quite a difficult time for them. So I think that there were a lot of tears at the airport mm. when they came to see us off. Yes. Yeah, yeah I remember I, had, I couldn't handle my parents dropping me at the airport when I went to Pakistan full-time, so... I had friends drop me off and uh, even then yeah gosh it was such a powerful moment just thinking uh, they were in tears and I was then in tears and just thinking you don't know when you're coming back and you think you think it's so much bigger than it often is in that first time when you're moving but uh, yeah gosh and how did you find how did Cindy find the culture Turkish culture and what about your kids how was that whole adjustment period it was uh, it was pretty different experiences for both of us. Mm. I think I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, w- I was the one that was excited about going to the Muslim country. Mm. I was the one that was excited about going to Turkey mm. because I was a male living in a Muslim community. I had a lot more freedom yeah. and time to be out of the home. So I got straight into language learning and loved my language learning. I had a language uh, helper who didn't know any English. So I was really thrust in at the deep end. Mm. And but I just really enjoyed that whole process. Uh, for my wife, uh, Cindy, it was a lot more difficult. Mm. Um, I mean, she was looking after two little girls in a strange country. Uh, we 
we need we had to learn how to cook when we first got there right. because um you know we were raising kids in england before that two two little toddlers and you know when it would come to lunchtime we'd open a tin of something and heat it up and give it to them yeah and suddenly there was no prepared foods mm -hmm. so if we want to give our kids some soup for lunch we have to go and buy some onions and some lentils oh, and wow. some vegetables and chop them up and cook them and it, it was just a lot more work and on top of that she was also expected to learn the language mm. um, and she did a really good job and she did it with a very good attitude mm. but uh, it was also a struggle because actually when we had occasional visitors come family would come and see us because Turkey is not too far away from England True. and it's a holiday destination mm. um, and I, I think she especially struggled when people got on the plane to go home mm. that she wanted to be with them yeah and, and go back with them uh, so that struggle I think probably went on for a year or so mm. um, and actually the first year in another country after the, the first few weeks of honeymoon period can be really difficult mm -hmm. and uh, but at, at some point it becomes home yeah. and much more home than it is at the beginning mm -hmm. and you settle in and you understand how things work and and so she started to enjoy the culture mm. yeah and and thankfully you had a really good team that you all got on well with that was a real bonus for you guys yeah, we had a really good team. So there were, at uh, that time, I think four or five families on our team. Mm. And the team leaders had been there for a few years, and the rest of us were all fairly new. And mm. so we were all in this together, learning language together. And so we had a really good community. And there were kids of a similar age on mm. the team. So the kids all became like cousins for each other. And the adults, we became like uncles and aunts for all the kids on the team. And we would take turns babysitting each other's houses. Yeah. Taking the place of the grandparents that weren't there, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You had a really good community experience. And that's that's what we dream of, isn't it, in Frontiers? That's why we believe in teams for everyone who goes. We want that support. We need that extra gifting. Not everyone's an evangelist. So that's that's really powerful. Actually, just back on uh, one more comment, I feel I should say, hearing your story of Cindy and how she had to adjust, because that connects with me. And, and, and when, I mean, I was in Pakistan six years as a single guy, but when I got married and then Jess and I went back with a three-month-old baby, it was really tough at the beginning. I remember Asia getting sick and being in hospital with a drip stuck into her head and we would have to sort of hold her. We didn't know what the doctors were doing. And it was really tough for Jess, who didn't know Pakistani culture and Urdu. I mean, at least I had Urdu by, by that stage. But I always say that the difficulty of a woman in a Muslim culture is 10 times that of a man going to a Muslim culture. And I think kudos to them credit to them they they battle through so much more than we have to we have the freedoms we can ride on the buses and have the adventures and yeah so on so yeah thanks yeah. for sharing that about Cindy's yeah. experience and it was also difficult for our kids mm. <laughs> because to free Cindy up to be able to do language lessons we put our two little girls into a Turkish nursery school mm. aged three and two wow and we hadn't really thought through the implications of that for them and so suddenly they were going into this setting where nobody spoke any English mm. and they didn't speak any Turkish. And something our daughter told us later was how on the first day she wanted to use the toilet, but didn't know how to ask or tell anyone. And, you know, very practical things like that. Yeah. And uh, but they did a great job. And we eventually we put our kids through Turkish school, through Turkish state school. And mm. uh, that was a mixed experience for them. But but it was good that they got Turkish friends and slowly adapted to the culture there. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. The challenges of, of having young kids on the field. Um, interesting. Okay. And so what was your sort of day to day and, and how did the, I mean, you talk about church planting in a Muslim city. How did that actually look in practice? What, what does that look like? It's hard to get our heads around that sometimes. Well, interestingly, when we went, first went to the field, we had no idea ourselves. Mm. Um, we were going there to share the gospel with Muslim people to uh, hopefully plant churches and lead people to faith in Jesus and plant churches. And we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't know how to do that. We were going to plant house churches. I, I'd never even seen a house church, right. let alone planted one. Yeah. Um, but God slowly um showed us what to do and how to do it and, and also the also god worked through us and we started to see some fruit fairly early on in, in the culture there but the the day-to-day -day things um for the first two years 
we were told by our team leader to our job was to learn the language and to stay married. Right. That was our job for the first two years. And so I think we did quite a good job in both those areas. <laughs> um, but, but during that time, we also saw people come to faith as well. Mm. So I was teaching English and I was teaching English in a, a left wing political party mm-hmm. in Turkey among the youth there. And so these are all kind of, uh, guys and girls in their 20s who I was teaching English to, so young people who wanted to learn English. Yeah. Mm. And some of those early disciples, in, were they from those young people or were they other families and older folks? Yeah, so um, the first people we saw come to faith were from that English class mm. and we saw three students come to faith. So I remember after one uh, I remember after one evening class, we went to a cafe and then we were walking home. So I was walking home with the students. I was about 10 years older than most of the students. Mm. And one of them, he asked me, uh, he said, Mike, do you believe in angels? I said, yes. And he looked surprised. So I said, why are you surprised? Mm. He said, well, I didn't think English people believed in angels. Mm-hmm. And then he said, do you believe in uh, the jinn? Now, the jinn is, means spirits in mm. in uh, mean spirits in Muslim cultures. And so I said, yeah, why are you asking? And he Mm. said, well, I was being attacked by one in my bedroom. And so I said to him, what did you do? And he said, well, someone gave me a prayer from the Quran and I read it every night for a month. Mm -hmm. And then the jinn went away. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, I've got some friends who are also being attacked by a jinn. And they told it to go away in the name of Jesus and it left immediately. And he said, wow, that's really interesting. And then I didn't know what to say next to him. Mm. So I just said, why don't you come around my house sometime? There's something I want to show you. And then I thought to myself, what am I going to show him? (laughs) Great tactic. And so about two or three weeks later, he came to my home. And what I did, I'd chosen a couple of uh, Bible stories about Jesus' authority over the jinn. Mm. And I I showed him these stories. I said, read this, Mm. because my Turkish wasn't great to explain things. And his English was worse than my Turkish. So, um, So he read... These stories, but as he read them, I remember he shut the Bible and he says, I don't want to know about the jinn. He said, tell me about Jesus. Who was he and why did he come? Wow. And so with the best Turkish I had, remember, I'd only been there less than a year. I tried to explain the the gospel to him. And I remember he was really moved. And it must be that God moved him because it certainly wasn't my (laughs) eloquent Turkish. Um, And so we just started reading the Bible together regularly after that. So he would come to my home and then another student came and joined and then another one. And so we had three believers and we started the first house church in that region. How come the others came along? Was that something that you thought about trying to get him to bring friends in with him? Or was that just like just happened? It happened because one of the other ones was my language helper. Mm. And so I've been sharing with him as well. So he was already quite interested and we were using the Bible to learn Turkish, mm. uh, learning the Tur- using the Turkish Bible, and one day he he went to a cafe with one of the other students, and they were just practicing their English with each other by writing English words on napkins, and so one of the students wrote down the student he was with wrote down, Jesus is God. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not give us a five star rating so that more folks can hear these inspiring stories and join us in praying, sending giving and going and so one of the students wrote down the student he was with wrote down jesus is god which for a muslim to write that that's Mm. blasphemy yeah that's dangerous and uh so he wrote this and so my language helper said to him where did you hear that Mm. and he said i don't know i heard it somewhere and it just sounds true to me Wow. And so my language helper said, you need to speak to Mike about this. And so he brought him to my house. Um, and so we started the, us, the two the three of us talking together. And because they knew this other first student, mm. we all started meeting together regularly wow. and reading the Bible together. That's and really they started cool. following Jesus and got baptized. Wow. Wow. That's really cool. Um, and then, you also had some other strange experiences in terms of, um, I mean, you mentioned jinn and spirits, but there were other occasions too, weren't there, when someone asked for prayer because there were some strange things going on inside them or their family members? Yeah, I mean, we, we had a reputation among some of the people that we lived among as people that prayed and prayed for healing. 
because we would offer prayer for people and word gets around that hey, these mm -hmm. people pray for healing. And I, I've just noticed in Muslim cultures that uh, people want answers to the problems they have in life. And yeah. so if someone's got a sick family member, they're, they're happy to come to a Christian to receive prayer if mm -hmm. the Christian offers it. And so, yeah, there was one particular occasion where I, I met another guy who was a student on the Bible correspondence course. So that was for anyone in Turkey who was wanted to learn more about the Bible. Mm. They were just seekers. And I met with him and one day he called me and he said, could you come and pray for my daughter because she's, she's getting headaches. Mm. So I went to the house and sp spoke with the daughter and the family was sitting around and I just said to the daughter, when, when did your headache start? And she said, oh, it was the day I started talking to my friend about being a Christian. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's strange that your headache started that time. And then as we continued talking, I started talking about Jesus and she suddenly fell on the floor clutching her head. Mm. And somehow I knew this was a spirit, <laughs> a spiritual attack. Mm. And I didn't know what to do because I'd never seen this before. I'd only read about it. I'd never been in a situation like this before. And I kind of looked left and right to see where the pastor was in the room. And then <laughs> obviously realized I'm the only one there. And, uh, but it, it kind of frightened me when I saw this, yeah, but... but I jumped to my feet and I just said, in Jesus name, stop. And suddenly this girl stopped and got up and sat on the chair mm. and no one was more surprised than me. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but the family looked at me as if to say, what just happened? And so I was just able to tell them that your daughter's coming under attack from a spirit, but there's someone who's stronger mm -hmm. than this spirit who can heal your daughter. And so I told them a little bit more about Jesus. I prayed for for her and, and then left because I didn't really know what to do next. Mm. And after that, she actually got much worse. She started hearing mm. voices, telling her to kill herself. Right. And her dad told me they found her in the kitchen with a knife getting ready to harm herself. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we went up a couple of weeks later and uh, I went with a friend and with my wife and we, we just ministered to that girl and the Lord delivered her of two evil spirits that night. And th this was a brand new thing for me. It mm. wasn't something I was looking for, mm. but just I knew that God had put me in that situation mm. um, to learn about that. Interesting. I seem to remember when, when I was at college and somebody was talking about evil spirits and deliverance, which we're just not used to very much in the UK, and unless perhaps you're in a Pentecostal stream and, and they're much better than us probably at uh, talking about these things. But I remember someone someone saying that actually almost always in scripture, if not always, Jesus responded to uh, a demon or a spirit revealing themselves and, and he had to react and, and deal with it in that situation. But even Jesus didn't go looking for spirits everywhere. And so it's, it's interesting that you say that you had the same thing. There was a manifestation that, that came to you and you had to deal with it um, and learn off on, on your feet, really. Yeah. yeah and, and, before that, God had kind of prepared me for that situation, even though I didn't know he was doing that because I, I'd actually been attacked by a spirit uh, in my room a couple of months before that. And it had frightened me so much yeah. that I actually had to go away and, and figure out, well, why is this frightening me? If Jesus has given authority mm -hmm. to his followers. I need to understand this topic more. And so God was preparing me even a couple of months before that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there are things that I suppose you can prepare for before you go overseas, and there are things you're just going to have to face, aren't they, when, aren't they, when you get there? I, it reminds me, actually, one of our team members had an incident a bit like that. He was attacked by a spirit. He was on his own in this guest house in the mountains of North Pakistan, and, yeah, he, he was absolutely convinced things were coming through the windows and attacking him, and they were surrounding him. He called on his phone for help from people but he was absolutely a spiritual attack and he was terrified through that whole incident that i don't know how, quite how long it lasted but yeah i think it, it is important to know who we are in christ isn't it we've, we've got to have that strong foundation and, and be a little bit prepared for dealing with the spiritual realms that are so hidden in our culture i'm not saying they're not here but much more hidden in our sort of western cultures great so any other highlights you'd like to share over your years there? I mean, you spent more than a decade, was it 15 years in Turkey? Yeah, we spent 15 years there. Um, 
but there was there was highlights there was a lot of low lights mm. <laughs> um i mean the highlights i think were just seeing people come to faith get baptized and see transformation happen in them mm. so i remember one day a guy had come to my office and i'd invited him because he'd phoned us beforehand and i said to come to to my office but I, what i didn't realize is he was coming to uh, attack us mm. and so when he came into the office uh i sat him down i said would you like a coffee and so i went and made him a coffee and he started telling me all his problems mm. and then i just sat there listening and then after about i guess 15 minutes he suddenly caught himself and he said i don't know why i'm telling you all my problems he said i'm not interested in your religion mm. i said don't worry i'm not interested in religion either <laughs> and i'm going to show you why and then i turned around i picked up my bible off the shelf i turned to uh, a passage in john where jesus addresses the pharisees mm -hmm. about them being religious and what jesus said about being religious and i i got him to read this passage and i said i follow him but since you told me all your problems would you like me to pray for you mm -hmm. and he said yes i would so i prayed for him and then he left and about a week later he there was a knock at the door and i opened it and it was the same man standing there but he had a, a kind of a smile on his face and a bit of a glow mm. and i just said to him wow you look different this week what's happened he said i don't know just something's happened to me and i don't know what it is mm. i said well sit down i'll make you a coffee and i'll tell you what's happened to you mm. <laughs> and so while i was making the coffee i was thinking what am i going to tell him <laughs> you can see a pattern here can't you yeah but uh no, I just said to him, look, last week we prayed for, for God to bless you and to bless your life and your business and your marriage. And I wonder if God is doing some work in you. Let me show you something else. And so we started reading the Bible together. And then he, he started coming regularly and we'd read the Bible together. Mm. And I got to know his family. And then a year later, he'd come to faith by then oh, and, and got baptized. Good. And mm. I went to visit his, um, his hometown which was about uh, four or 500 miles away. Mm. I went with him and while we were there, someone said to him, how do you know Mike? And he said, oh, one day I came to their office to attack them. And I said, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, I wouldn't have let you in if I'd known that. <laughs> and so that's how I found out why he'd come. But, wow. you know, the amazing thing is just to see how God used people like me you know, yeah. I wasn't someone who had this amazing ministry before I went to Turkey. Mm. I'd, I'd never led anyone to the Lord before I went to Turkey. Mm. And what I saw was that after I went to a Muslim country, for some reason, God started to use me. And, you know, I believe that God always rewards faithfulness. Mm. So yeah, when man. people step out in faith, then God, God will use them. That's awesome. Yeah, I think people so often think, am I competent am i do i have the ability for this i'm i'm no natural evangelist so if i can't, if i'm not even doing it in this culture how could i be used by god somewhere else but it, it's true that it's he, he wants our availability not our ability so much he's not looking for super heroes amazing people of faith he'll do this of course he calls us to a life of discipleship to follow him to trust him and so on and, and to go out to step out but really that's what these are the stories I love to hear because it just underlines that we're ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. And if we make ourselves available, he'll do the rest. Um, yeah, I, I think often of Saul and Ananias. You know, we think, well, so many people think, oh, missionaries, it's all about being a super apostle, like Apostle Paul. Great, you know, amazing guy. And he plants churches everywhere across Asia. But actually, sometimes we're called to be an Ananias. And he, we don't know much about that guy, but one time he responded to the Lord. He prayed for Saul. Miracle happened. His eyes, you know, opened. And that was his role. And then Saul goes off and does amazing things for the kingdom of Paul by then. Um, and that's, that's it. That's what is amazing. God can take you and just one episode, two episodes, if you give yourself to him, you could influence a culture, a town, a city, a village. And that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Praise God. So, yeah, um, any other lowlights? What, what were the hardest things about living in Turkey or having to leave, perhaps? Any other things you want to touch on that um, just, you know, real stuff that we don't think about so much, but it is a reality of life out there? Well, I, th I think when you go overseas, however much you fall in love with the country, th there's always going to be some struggles. Mm. It, it's never easy being a foreigner long term anywhere. <laughs> 
um, however much you learn the language, you try and get into the culture, you're always a foreigner. Mm. And so I, I did feel that a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and so did my wife. And so there were struggles and, and there, there were struggles in our faith. You know, there were long periods of time where we didn't see God move at all, yeah. where we saw no one come to faith. We didn't see any miracles. Mm. And I remember walking the streets sometimes just thinking, come Lord Jesus, like, I, I'm not sure I want to be on this earth anymore. <laughs> I just want you to come. I want this all to finish yeah. um, because of the discouragement that was going on. You know, and that's the reality is that mm -hmm. sometimes God takes us through some difficult times, you know, and it seems like God is silent and nothing's happening. But then somehow he steps in and, and brings something about that changes that. Mm. And so I think it's that's the walk of faith, isn't it? That it's there's the the, yeah. the valley of the shadow of death, and then there's the high mountains that you go on. Mm. And this is the pattern we see in scripture through all godly men and women is they go through these different valleys, these different seasons of, of seeing a lot of fruit, of seeing very little fruit. Yeah. Um, but what God is looking for. Uh, what God, what God is looking for that I've seen over the years is faithfulness. Yeah. And Jesus says at the end of one of his parables, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, it's not well done, good and successful servant. Yeah. It's well done, good and faithful servant. And so he's asking us to be faithful. And in that faithfulness, sometimes he'll give us fruit. Sometimes he'll take us through hard times. Mm. But we're called to persevere and keep mm. going. And, uh, and the blessing comes in doing that. Yes. Oh man, that's and that's a real release for us as well, isn't it? Because if it's on us to see miracles happen, then it's a real pressure. If it's on us to to see people come to Christ, then that's massive pressure. Um, and you could, you could feel ashamed and you could judge yourself on fruit or success that, that you're talking about. But actually, if it's God's work, then it's not on us. We we're there as messengers. Maybe we're clearing rocks. Maybe we're sowing seeds, tilling the land, and the fruit and the harvest will come decades later but it's not on us you know he's the one who draws people to himself our job is like you say be there be faithful proclaim the gospel be you know be bold um but yeah it's i, th I find that very releasing to know that it's actually it's his work yeah and sometimes i've seen it as like i, I feel like an envelope sometimes mm. um that you know whether whether it's a, an evangelistic gift or a prophetic gift or, or whatever it is just going and giving someone a word of encouragement I see it that God wants to speak to that person and for some reason he uses me. Mm. And so I feel like the envelope, like the message is from God to them and I'm the one that carries it. Mm. Um, there's not a lot of glory in being an envelope. Um, so the glory goes to the, the messenger and the one who gets the blessing is the one who receives the message. Mm. And, uh, but it's a privilege to, you know, be an envelope for the King, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's good. Good analogy. Yeah. Great. And um, so as you as you look back, I suppose, 15 years there, why did you have to come back to England or was that a choice you made at some point? Yeah, we, we, we've been in Turkey for 15 years and probably two years before we left. I think we were struggling, especially my wife was struggling uh, for, for different reasons. She was struggling with her faith and to have a lot of faith that God would continue to use us there. Mm -hmm. And also we had four children by then and they were all in their teenage years. Yeah. And so we had the choice, well, what do we do with them? You know, do we send them back to England one by one on this conveyor belt right. on their own to come and survive? And so we had these conversations and, and my wife especially really wanted to help our children transition into adult life yeah. and be with them for that. And mm. so we, we decided we returned to the UK. Mm. Um, I think for her, that was easier than for me. For me, I, I didn't know anything else. I mm. thought, what am I going to do when I come back to England? Uh, how are we going to survive? Because, uh, you know, we our income will stop. I'm returning to England with four teenagers mm. and no home, no money, no job. Yeah. Um, so that was quite a big step for us coming yeah. back. That's almost a bigger step of faith for you than going out in the first place. Yeah, it was because when you first go to the field, people are really excited for you. Mm. Uh, you're going and people want to support you. They're getting behind you. You're going off on an adventure yep. and everyone thinks it's great. When you return, people just think, oh, they're back. Yeah. And there's no kind of adventure in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, people just assume that you'll be okay now because you're back here. Mm. And it's actually a huge mm. cultural transition. I mean, we, we struggle culturally just to adapt to Britain yeah. um, because we'd become 
I guess, kind of half Turkish in the way we communicated, in, yeah. in the style of our communication, in the way we drove on the roads. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to learn how to drive with speed cameras everywhere. And yeah. That sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah it was a big adaptation. That's a good point. Yeah, when we had to leave Pakistan, I mean, we had our own disappointments. We were expelled from Pakistan. But, yeah, there's so much... You'd, we just felt lost for a while. What's going on? Why are we back? Is this God's will? Should we return or not return? And yeah, it's it is very unsettling, isn't it? And like you say, for you, it was particularly challenging because you didn't know what you were walking into next. I think if you come back and you know what you're moving to, that's maybe easier. But yeah, it's a big step of faith, and I I value the you know the decision you guys made for your kids, and I know I know your kids, and it's borne a lot of fruit, and it's great to see how they've you know, gone through their last five, 10 years and really developed and matured. And I think that investment into them is a beautiful thing. Do you look back and still see some fruit going on from those early disciples and, and small churches that were planted? As far as the believers in Turkey, I would say some of them are going on with the Lord. Some of them have gone cold in their faith. Mm. I don't think anyone's rejected their faith, mm. um, but some have gone cold. But I just recognize how tough it is mm. being being the first. You know, these are pioneers. These, these are in the region of Istanbul we were living in, they were the first followers of Jesus out of a population of half a million mm -hmm. people in that little district. Wow. And so it's really hard for them. And especially if their families don't come to faith with them, then it can be a difficult thing to continue following the Lord. But some of them have done, some of them haven't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about, um, there's a lady I know that came to faith and is very active in sharing her faith in, in Turkey. You might you know, not want to say too much about where she is and who she is, but are you able to share something of her story? Yeah, well, there's a, a family that we got involved with um, a number of years ago, and sh this lady had come to faith. She lives in the middle of Turkey, and she came to faith, and so did her husband, and she called the correspondence course, Bible correspondence course in Istanbul, and said, can you send someone to speak to my husband because he's not being bold enough in sharing his faith. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> and so, so I was asked to go and I, I took a young guy with me and we went to visit this family. And I just remember the first day I, I arrived, they came and picked me up on a, picked us up on a tractor mm. and they took us off into the mountains, into this remote village. And we went and sat in someone's house and the villagers all came around and she said, Mike, tell them. <laughs> And so she's just expecting me to tell them the gospel. Wow. And uh, they didn't know what she meant by that. But uh, it was an amazing opportunity just to share the gospel. But but that lady is an incredibly bold evangelist. And it's just amazing to see how the spirit of God has been on her mm. in terms of now for 20 years, she's been following Christ under huge difficulties. Mm. Um and so she's got a passion to see fellowship started in all the villages around the town where she lives. And mm -hmm. so you know, part of what I'm doing now is just uh, talking with people like her and coaching her in that mm -hmm. and uh, paying occasional visits. So, I mean, in some of the places we were in Pakistan, the, the believers were very secret. They, they couldn't really be very bold. A few of them shared with, you know, with one or two others or family members and some paid for it with beatings and so on. But what about Turkey? I mean, how did she, how she managed to be so bold without being beaten up or worse? I think with her, because her husband wasn't sharing his faith, mm. she was had some kind of protection because he, he was she was quite an intense personality. Mm. He was a fun loving guy who liked a bit of a joke. And so people really liked him. Yeah. And I think because they liked him, they put up with her <laughs> um but but she's been bold in probably i would say one of the toughest parts of turkey where you'd expect the most persecution interesting and they've had mm. persecution yeah. after my first visit there, there because i was a foreigner visiting uh, some youths came around the house and started throwing rocks at the house mm. and they've had different types of persecution over the years they were forced out of their town to go and live on a in a build their own home in a field outside the town uh -huh. Um, so they, they've received some level of persecution, mm -hmm. but she's just been bold and somehow the Lord is continuing to use her. Mm -hmm. um, I would say not all Turkish believers are like that. Not all of them are bold. Sure. Um, some of them might be secret believers. Mm -hmm. Others are openly uh, Christian, but 
It's different in the cities than it is in the towns. Yes, so, there's a bit more anonymity in the yeah. cities, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And in Pakistan, sometimes actually they've come to faith and they might relocate and then just self-identify as a Christian or follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. No one knows that they had a Muslim background. So they, there's, there is a level of protection if you move from town to town, sometimes over there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And so now you're back in the UK and you're obviously part of your heart is mobilizing others to go to unreached places. This third of the world has never had the gospel um, or doesn't currently have access to the gospel. And I know you, you train people and I know also you've got a heart for Muslims in, in our local town here. And so any little snippets of things that you've been doing here in your locality in the UK, how you've been sort of trying to encourage the church to reach out to Muslims or doing it yourself? Yeah, so we've been trying to, as you say, encourage uh, local Christians to reach out to Muslims. I, I just think it would be amazing, wouldn't it, if if every Muslim in our town had a Christian friend. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't need to be a bold evangelist, but just someone that's got a real faith. That, that would be an incredible thing. Mm. Um, so we've tried to reach out to the Muslim community in our town. They're a very established community, third or fourth generation. So it's not always easy to know how to get to know people because they're not necessarily looking for friends yeah. and we're not particularly interesting to them. We were interesting to people in Turkey because mm. we were English and it was kind of cool to have an English friend, Yeah, but it's not cool to have an English friend for a, a Muslim living in this country. So, yeah. um, so we struggled to know how to make those meaningful connections, but actually God did open up a door for us probably about three years ago where uh, we were invited to, come to a mosque and a lot of mosques in this country have open days and open evenings and that Mm. sort of thing and they they like to have outsiders come in Um, so that's something anyone can do around the UK is actually visit their local mosque and it's not intimidating or daunting so we were invited to come and to a mosque where there was a Christian speaker and a Muslim speaker and while I was sitting in that meeting hearing a talk from a Muslim leader and a talk from a Christian leader I think God gave me an idea (laughs) because I went up to the mosque leader afterwards and I said, I I think I've got an idea about how we could do this better. Mm. And he said, well, why don't you come and speak to me on Thursday and tell me your idea? So I visited on Thursday and he was there with with another sheikh, uh, a mosque leader Mm. who's actually got his own programs on Sky TV. Mm -hmm. And I said, My idea is this. I said, why don't we do something where we don't have any speakers, but let God be the speaker? Mm. And he said, what do you mean? (laughs) And I said, well, we believe that God has spoken through the scriptures. And so why don't we do something where we just look at the scriptures together and we read it and we just ask some basic questions about what is God saying to us? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? And if this is true, what are we going to do? And he said, that's a great idea. I'd love to do something like that. He said, we could do a series of 20. And I said, no, let's just do one. <laughs> and then we'll ask people if they want to do it again, because hmm. no one wants to sign up for a series of 20 if they don't know what it is. Right. Uh, but they'll come again if they like it. So yeah. so we, a group of us um, started meeting in this mosque and we would choose a topic each week and I would print off what the Bible said about that topic and one of them would print off what the Quran said about the topic. And we would just read those topics together mm. and have a great discussion. So cool. And then they would always ask me to pray at the end. And so I just thought, wow, this is an amazing opportunity that God's given us, that we're sitting in a mosque reading mm. the Bible mm. with uh, with our Muslim friends here mm. and praying with them. And uh, so a lot of them know a lot of Old Testament stories now in that mosque. We yeah. went all the way through the... Uh, some well through a number of the old testament prophets we went through the gospels looking at some of the stories of jesus Mm. and we went through the acts of the apostles as well Mm. and it lasted about two years it it? did it lasted about two years we were meeting every two weeks i think we met 40 or 50 times yeah wow that's great yeah really encouraging i mean what i love about just some of your anecdotes and stories today is that theme that runs through it that I'm seeing where you don't have to be an expert. You've never said, oh, and I told them all this about Islam or I told them all this theology. It's actually just very simple. Can I show you something? And then you bring a scripture or a Bible story or a passage. And and even this in the mosque, it wasn't super complicated. You didn't have to prepare lots of talks. You just said, can we open the scriptures and let's just read about Abraham this week or let's just read about Moses this week. And, yeah. and that's such a nice way to just build a bridge. Anyone can do it. 
you don't have to be an expert you don't have to be a yeah a preacher yeah I'm, I'm quite a simple guy i mean when i was at school i i, I left school with just two o levels okay. um i never did any further education yeah uh, i did go to bible college but that was much later and uh yeah you don't need to be an expert on these things you know mm. i i think there are some great people out there who've learned a lot about islam and can engage in apologetics at a very deep level yeah. and a very intelligent level mm. uh, i'm not one of them and so I, I figure if I'm talking to a Muslim, I, I'm not going to um, talk to them too much about Islam because they're an expert on Islam. I'm not. Mm. So, but I, but I just see that my role is to introduce them to Christ, mm. and so that's what I love to do. So, as I'm in conversations with people, the most useful piece of advice I ever heard was my team leader when I first went to Turkey. He said, "Mike, your only job is to get them in the Bible with you," mm. and for me, that just simplified it. So every conversation I have, I try and find a way of showing them something in the Bible. Yeah. And then if they're interested and intrigued, then I can show them something else next time. And mm -hmm. then we can maybe start meeting regularly and looking at the Bible together. Mm. So just kind of trying to simplify it like that. I love it. That's so simple. It's so doable. It's reproducible. Anyone can do that. And then they can go and do the same with their friends because it's not complex and you don't have to have a degree behind you to do that. Um, so I love that, that's, that's amazing. And to be honest, Mike, you're one of the sharpest thinkers that I know because you take something and you think about it and you mull it over. And I think there's a wisdom that God gives you when you seek after God, he'll give you something, he'll give you his heart, he'll give you his, an idea, like at the mosque. And who needs a degree for that? If the Lord can speak to us and direct us, much more powerful. So yeah, brilliant, I love, I love hearing that. Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I love hearing your stories. I'm always challenged, um, challenged in my evangelism, my connecting with Muslims. I'm challenged to just think in different ways. And, and so, yeah, thanks for being with me today and sharing your stories. And I'm sure our listeners will have loved it. Thanks so much for listening. I hope today's episode has been inspiring and challenging. For more, check us out on our website, frontiers.org.uk and on all social media platforms at Frontiers UK. Have a great week and make sure you don't miss our next episode.